Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yay! Back. Yes. Got sound design for you. Wow, that is right in theme with our interview today. That's right. Here on the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, we have got an amazing guest. His name is Chris Porter, and he made it a sci-fi narrative podcast starring some amazing people. People oh you've God. heard of, such as Helen Hunt, Alan yep. Cumming, Stephanie Beatrice, uh, some other fan folks who are in like ghosts, uh, amazing stuff going on, and it sounds amazing as well as scary, right, Shelly? Yeah, it's a little scary if that's just a genre that scares you. Yeah. Like so it's, I would call it a hard sci-fi. It's kind of in the uh, guise of being trapped on a ship and the science behind that. I love all of it. Got to deal with zero cool. gravity and moonwalks and spacewalks and all that. Like and super interesting. An immersion. Yes. An immersive experience thanks to a really incredible audio. And it's very cool. It's yeah. very cool. So stick around listen to our interview with uh, Chris Porter on Solar. Um, but Shelly and I also want to talk to you about some fun things happening in Dungeons & Dragons world. Let's such do as that. Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, speaking Ooh, of a completely yes. new uh, setting to, to jump into. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's a super cool book. Amazing writers contributed to this book. And the Radiant Citadel is also something new. Hello for all you dungeon masters out there that are just looking for ways to add cool things to your campaigns. You can yeah. just like pluck out the Radiant Citadel and just use it in your game. Hello yeah. and thank you. <laughs> Please and thank you. <laughs> uh, and each of the adventures are just full of uh, amazing cultures and things that, you know, not the, the, the typical Western you know, kind of fantasies, stereotypes you've seen. There's tons of things that will be resonant for people all over the world. So I'm excited about that part of it too. Like just Very being able much. to, you know, we, we if you've played D&D for a long time, you kind of get used to some of the, uh, the archetypes uh, that are out there. I love them. I love playing with them. But here's a way to get some of those fantasy archetypes and, you know, mix them up a little bit. Have some yeah. new cultural touchstones in there. Which is always cool. But lots of, like any anthology book, there's just, a lot of bits and bobs in there for you bobs. to use in your campaigns and just get excited about it. There are at least three characters named Bob. And seven, I think, named Bits. <laughs> so we're not kidding. We, there's literal bits and bobs in there. <laughs> and you can purchase them uh, in the market of uh, the first adventure, Salt of Legacy, which was to be fun. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. We also have uh, Spelljammer Adventures in Space. space, space Speaking space. of space. Happening uh, on the horizon or on the event horizon, depending right? on how you think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. August so, 6th, 16th. It's really happening. Space clouds. Murder comets. Oh, my fave. Very big whales. Space whales. You've, you've seen like blue Husks. whales, right? And how big they are. Yeah. Now think bigger. Uh, yeah, they just exist among you, just yeah. as you're just hanging off out on the the deck of a spelljammer. Just a big giant space whale might come by. Space <laughs> hamsters, which are giant, or miniature giant, or miniature giant, depending on if they're blue uh, or not. Some 
plasmoids just, you know, walking among you as well. Have you uh, always wanted to play like a Jello character? And now you can. I, I mean, I didn't know I wanted to until I did, uh, or I currently am. And I'm like, where has this character been my whole life? It's like those um, Betty Crocker 1950s cookbooks. They're like, everything can be a jelly. And the, like, in the, in the mold, like what to bring to your 4th of July party. Oh, it's truth. A- I could just like smush myself into a mold. Into like a bunt cake mold. A bunt cake mold, yeah. <laughs> the kind that have like the little designs printed on the side, like some fall, some like autumn leaves like embedded in there so that <laughs> when I come out of the mold, I have little leaves. I always thought that those things called them salads too. And I'm like, that, that is not a salad. I mean, ugh, like seeing those. Jelly. like With like the stuff inside of it and you can see it, you know, yeah. like those little canned mandarin oranges which are actually delicious but like in marshmallows or whatever people put inside of and it's like that consistency that's like that's the sound it makes and but you can see kind of like a gelatinous cube like you can see what what's in it actually that's probably what the uh, inspiration was for a gelatinous cube uh, in the 70s and now we come full circle and we're able to play a plasmoid in adventures in space well it's really fun. I am playing one. And sometimes I like to be in my gooey shape. And sometimes I like to be in like a humanoid shape. And when I become a humanoid, I like to make sound effects when my limbs pop out. I love that. So, sound know, design is the through line through I mean, this podcast. I don't know. Chris Porter might want to hire me for the next, <laughs> his next, for season two. Hopefully we get a season two of Solar because I'm available. And you can, um, if you have any plasmoids out there, I'm available to do the effect of limbs. <laughs> I mean, the images that are conjured up in my mind is immediately of a plasmoid growing limbs. Each time. It's perfect. Yep. yep. Yeah. Very cool. You are able to paint a picture with sound. I am, yes. I was very inspired <laughs> by my plasmoid. And her name is Jelly Goo. that hurt me physically (laughs) that jelly goo is the name oof Uh, I'm sure your dungeon master Chris Lindsay loves all of these puns he just goes with it he's just like jelly goo what do you want to do can't do that nope can't do that either (laughs) no he doesn't say that he's wonderful oh that's amazing well, that'll be uh, coming out very soon. As I said, in August, uh, we've got Radiant Citadel in July and, you know, maybe some Lance of Dragons on the horizon coming as well. Maybe. We unfortunately do not have a B segment for you here. We call them B segments. I don't know if you guys know that. We're a little inside baseball uh, here, but we are excited to jump right in and have our conversation with Chris Porter. I mean, we totally could have gotten my dad to come back. <laughs> we could because have. he's kind of like, thinks he's a big deal now. He is a big deal. He was wearing, uh, you know, D&D t-shirts all around town. People love him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He's just like telling everybody. He's like, oh, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> Maybe that's where you've heard of me. I'm like, the episode hasn't even come out yet. Okay. <laughs> well, now it is. But no, before. Like, no one's even heard. No one even knows. He's like, well. <laughs> 
They will. They're famous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a little bit famous. I've got a star on the walk of <laughs> podcast fame already. Oh, potty award winning. Potty award winning dad. Oh, dad. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, uh, he was great. And uh, I believe our next guest is also going to be great. I agree. Everyone, let's welcome Chris Porter to Dragon Talk. Yay! Thank you so much. I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Thank yes. you to the audiences, too. Yeah, <laughs> very, very excited to have you here. Talk about an amazing sci-fi adventure slash thriller podcast called Solar, which is amazing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Solar? Absolutely. Uh, Solar is a 12-episode plus bonus content. There's what we call recovered audio assets between each episode that reveal a little bit more of the story. Uh, It's about a spacecraft in close orbit to the sun that got overpowered by an enormous solar flare that also hit Earth. So the people who survived on board don't know if there is an Earth that they can even reach out to for help when their ship is stuck in close orbit to the sun. I, they, uh, the surviving crew members are also stuck on opposite sides of the ship as they're trying to help each other. So it's, it's, it's sort of a big survival story of what, what does it take to survive in a circumstance like that? The frail humans just in juxtaposition to this very large, uncaring sun with unfathomable, unfathomable power. I, yeah, yeah. Light and, you know, happy. (laughs) That's right. Uh, I, um, so there's, Two, like, uh, topics. Two, uh, I don't even know what I'm, what the very easy word is that has escaped me. But two types of of uh, things that give me anxiety, like in <laughs> terms of like movies, books, uh, yeah, you know, TV, whatever. One is anything about women's prison. Um, I don't ever want to go to prison ever. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> and like ever since I was a, a little girl and like walked in on like. Uh, something that an adult was watching and it was a scene from a woman's prison. I was like, I'm never going to prison, not ever. And and I've always been such like a rules person ever since then. So it's actually really was um, shaping me. But the other one is like being lost in space. Like that is also something that just gives me great anxiety. And I will say that the first two minutes of the pilot episode of Solar was so just like, like, I can't listen to this. It was so anxiety ridden, um, emotional, just like, so just beware. If Uh you're driving, I don't know that you want to listen to those first two minutes in the car. That's right. We we do put a disclaimer in front of every episode uh, saying like, just be aware that there will be sounds all around you. And also headphone listening is is suggested. Obviously, yes. we want you to listen to it no matter what. Uh, but we do try to warn people where, like, we, we really tried to mix this in 360-degree sound. So please don't That's crash so your cool. car. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you really feel like you are there on the spacecraft and things are happening all around you. It was incredible. Um, Thank you. So, so well done. I'm assuming that is the emotion that you're trying to elicit from your, yes. your readers yeah. or listeners. But the, yeah, we, we like to say sort of our uh, um, more overview pitch of it is that it's supposed to be a journey to the center of our solar system and an exploration of the vastness of the human spirit. And so that covers both the, you know, the science part of like, hey, we're going to the sun. Let's explore what the sun means to mankind. But then we also really wanted to use the stress of that situation and the isolation away from safety and earth and people that you love to really drive it home of what 
what your self-worth is and who you are as a person. And so we really tried hard to explore both of those paths simultaneously. It's like gravity meets orange is the new black. <laughs> yes. For me, yes. Those are, for, for, those for are two shows that I had a lot of anxiety watching. It, it, I will say it is not a space prison, but that's... <laughs> it's not. <laughs> they but, are yeah, trapped right. aboard. But though, they're but trapped, yeah. right? Yeah, they're that, trapped. They're that, trapped. Was, that was the oh, yeah. uh, thing I was the, going uh, with there. But I'm really excited about the uh, temporal distortion uh, po- uh, thing of this. That's something mm-hmm. that has always been fascinating to me. Obviously, we're talking a lot about sci-fi uh, in the guise of Spelljammer and how it could be used with D&D, but like, I, I, I'm also like a huge hard sci-fi uh, nerd sometimes. And so oh, yeah. that idea of, you know, like the Star Trek Enterprise uh, uh, going around the sun and like, you know, taking advantage of that temporal distortion right. of, of the theory of relativity there. Is that part of what, it's, is that a component of this? It is, and as is quantum mechanics. And I will just have to like leave some blank spaces in there because I don't yeah. want to get too spoilery because how that relates becomes more important later on. But uh, even in the first episode... It's a nonlinear story. So we're hearing recordings of specific days, and it always begins with a timestamp from the AI system aboard the ship, whose name is a- Ali from the Athon language interface, uh, who coincidentally is voiced by my co director, Jenny Curtis. Oh, nice. uh, but she gives a timestamp. So if people wanted to, they could actually map out on a calendar and figure out what day in 2045 these different events were happening. I but with that like because of that temporal thing at first it feels like it's it's almost a gimmick because of how it's jumping around but the longer you go into the story the more important time becomes and the way that we perceive time becomes mm-hmm. uh, so I will say all episodes are available now so like it's feel free to binge it and then go back and try to reorder it because we definitely tried to leave clues and breadcrumbs that you wouldn't realize were there until your second listen through oh That's really cool interesting. yeah all right. Well, now it's got Event Horizon mixed in there too, <laughs> as uh, as a little bit <laughs> possible inspirations. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, I-, I can't believe we've been talking about this for five minutes and we haven't mentioned this amazing cast. Like uh, yeah. they yeah, are yeah. Uh, stellar. These are all folks that people know. Like, what what, what were some of the uh, amazing stories you might have in working with them? I so uh, just to run down the list real quick for any listeners: uh, Stephanie Beatrice, Alan Cumming, Helen Hunt, uh, Jonathan Bangs is the unknown, but uh, we were able to fit him into the group because he just worked so well with with the combination of voices. I but uh, honestly, I, a huge part of the story of the making of Solar is the fact that it happened mid pandemic, so to speak. I wrote the first draft of the first four episodes, and we had a table read of those in February of 2020. And then three weeks later, ha, the world like completely upended and shut down. And it was like now me writing the story about people in isolation who can't talk to the rest of the world suddenly had a very different Ugh. tone. Wow. And it, I was going into like some personally dark places. I just because it was it was the nature of the story. And I, I'm not going to say that it's an allegory for the pandemic because it was never intended to be that. It's just the idea of isolation and survival through it and trying to work together was more resonant post pandemic era uh so we we then were able once we got the script done we we did like table reads over zoom for the entire uh season and that's when we started reaching out to to the larger name actors we did auditions for some of the smaller uh names like the b-list people uh but for these big um lead roles we sent out offers along with some samples of the script and i still remember stephanie beatrice was the first a-list actor who said yes 
And I remember I was out for a walk when we got that email and I just like sat on somebody's fence and <laughs> called Jenny, my co-director, and was like, did you get this email? And she hadn't opened it yet. So like we just had a moment of just freaking out on the phone together. Like, I can't believe this is going to happen. Uh, and then it happened again with Alan coming and it happened again with Helen Hunt. And we were just floored and flabbergasted. And it was just a huge honor to work with all of them. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. The, the only, uh, we, we also lucked out, as I mentioned, because it's during pan- the pandemic, so they couldn't be out doing things. So they were much more willing to like, hey, let's go to this confined studio that's following all the CDC protocols. Let's do this thing where I'm in a booth alone and the director's on the other side of the glass, so it's all completely safe. Oh my gosh. Uh, so they, like, it was, everyone, like, it was a good timing in regards to getting these people. Also, Stephanie Beatrice uh, hadn't been in Encanto yet. She had already done the voice, but they were still animating it. Mm. Uh, so we kind of got her right before her uh, flight launched with Encanto, and it was just good timing on that front. Uh, that being said, the only person who couldn't come into our studio in North Hollywood to record in was Alan Cumming, mm-hmm. who uh, had to record from his home uh, uh, in New York. And there was one day in particular, because we only had him for three days to record all of his um, materials, and one day it was raining, <laughs> and we could hear it on the recording, and we were like, we're so sorry, Alan. We can schedule this for another day whenever it's convenient for you. We just can't do it because we can hear it. And he said, no, 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 I, I got this. He disappeared for five minutes, came back with two giant quilt blankets and put it over him and his microphone and his scripts. And he <laughs> recorded for the whole day underneath these quilts just so that we could get it. Oh my and it's God. like, man, that's, that's, that's a pro right there. <laughs> like, and like the a show must go on no matter her. what. Might have even helped with his uh, performance a little bit too. Oh yeah, right? some like, of the exasperation. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you can't see anything. You're exactly a bit frustrated. That's so great. Wow. Oh, yeah, this is amazing. Who I, knew that cl- that quilting was all you needed to create right. a soundproof <laughs> booth? Uh, no, Brian, you never told us that. I don't know why we have all this expensive equipment. Um, it's so interesting to me that you were writing this though during COVID, like when things started. Mm-hmm. locking down and all of the similar themes. Do you think that it would be, would, would the story be different if it yeah. was like during the normal times? Like it, how it, it this, The plot wouldn't be different, but the way that they talk about the isolation would be different. I, for me, I'm someone who in my own personal writing process, I have to really find myself in that particular character. And it's not all of me, but it's just like, Oh, I, here's the me in this particular character. And so when some of the characters talk about isolation, it was much less meaningful and personal in the first drafts, where it was just more like, oh, I've been alone for a long time. Yeah. Whereas now it was like, oh, I miss going to restaurants. Like, I miss, I miss that aspect yeah. of being social. And so as a result, I think the characters did get deeper because of it. So the writing style did change. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Everybody absorbs the stuff that's happening around you and kind of puts it into the art that you're creating or the stories that you're telling around a D&D table, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, like, you know, we have uh, Spelljammer Adventures in Space coming out Mm -hmm. uh, very soon. And one of the really important aspects of it is, of course, how it's like this fantasy sci-fi blend we don't necessarily go deep into the kind of hard sci-fi of this, but I wonder if you, as a D&D player yourself, have any thoughts on how to uh, 
perhaps use this bit of like isolation or like, you know, being lost in the, in the astral sea with a spell jammer, you know, how you can kind of get some of those aspects of, of sci-fi storytelling that haven't really been able to be explored in, in fantasy so much. I mean, I, I don't know that this is going to be universally helpful, but hopefully someone will, will connect with it. But I, I just sort of liked to look at like what, like when I was even conceiving this way back when in 2019 of uh, what is the story that I want to tell in space, I just was initially like, oh, what's the story about them going to the far edge of the universe or about them going to colonize Alpha Centauri or whatever. And then I was like, oh, no, I actually haven't seen that many stories about going into the sun. Obviously, there's movies like Sunshine. Uh, but I haven't seen ones exploring like what the sun is as a you know an actual cosmic force, so that's kind of the inspiration for that. So I, in some ways, if it's like setting up your character to do the thing that you want to see in science fiction, like what is what is the thing that you want to explore? Is it cool to explore what food is like? Like I don't know what is there a cool hunting party that you could do? I don't know if that's helpful, but that's kind of the way I would start. Um, but in particular, I mean, just playing as a playing as someone with real emotions in an unexpected space, mm. uh, is really the valuable part. And this is going to go to, uh, uh, the campaign that's almost done. We were playing the, the Strahd campaign. Nice. Um, and there was this one moment where, uh, he's, he's a good friend. His name is Michael. He's on our team of people. Uh, his character is very egotistical and it's he would always do the thing that would give him the most power and he picked up some weapon that transmogrified him into some sort of a tree and (laughs) cursed him forever and i was my character was livid at him because it was such a dumb idiotic thing to do and yet the me part of me the chris part of me was like michael played that perfectly like he did, he did exactly what his character would do, even though it was the dumbest crap I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, but it's exactly what that character would do. But like, as a result, it gave me this weird sense of like, oh, now I know how to tap into that anger as a character without it being damaging to me. Cause I'm not angry at Michael. My character was angry at his character <laughs> and having that, that sense of, which isn't, isn't relegated to any of the um, settings per se. It's just an emotion, but playing the emotions real and interacting as true to your character as possible, I think is the most helpful. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We t- we've had people talk about um, bleed before, yeah. right? Where if you're playing, uh, you know, even this thing, using that example, that somehow, you know, Chris was angry with Michael, even though it was your characters right. uh, who were interacting that way and how it's important to, uh, to I guess put up bar- barriers uh, to making that happen, but I like right. what you're saying, which is like sometimes that allows a more freedom to explore those emotions, uh, right? And you know, I mean, that's that's how you get into into deep storytelling. It's almost like the ability. I mean, I don't know what what, what uh, Alan Cummings' character is like, but. Alan Cumming, the person, was very helpful in trying yeah, to help, yeah. help the production happen. Yes. <laughs> but he could be playing a big asshole that everybody hates, right? And, and exactly, so like, yeah. It's that weird dichotomy of making art with, with villains in it in that you have, uh, you know, you'd be offset, everybody's, you know, congenial or whatever. Uh, and then if, you know, but once the cameras are rolling or once the mics are going or, or once the theater performance starts, okay, no, you hate that person uh, yeah. for all those things, right? And so it's yeah, such yeah. a weird dichotomy that only really happens when you're, 
Oh, I, I personally hate it in theater when the guy who plays the villain or the woman who plays the villain comes out and everybody boos at them. Because I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 you, you hated them. They did their job well. Like, why are you? Oh, you like, mean at the end of the, the curtain call? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they boo oh, the villain. Yeah. And I'm like, no, they did a good job. Like, boo them when they're the villain, not when they're the actor who did the villain. Anyway. <laughs> right. well, that's the kayfabe. <laughs> What's it called? Kayfabe in, uh, in wrestling? Like, that's the kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, where, like, oh, they, yeah. They just like, you know, they're cheering for him, but yeah. in, a, in a negative boo type right, way. Right, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> That's so funny, That's though. Funny. You're right. There's so much, uh, you know, I don't know, connection yeah. between all of these different aspects mm-hmm. of performance. Yeah. I, so when you're, when people are doing this as a podcast and they're all, so they're not together when they're recording. Are, is everyone recording oh. separately or are they ever together? So I, I, the, due to the COVID restrictions at the time, everyone had to record entirely separately. So that's I will say that there is one scene in the entire series where they did record together, but they were actually in separate booths across the hall from each other. Okay. I so there, and I won't tell you what scene it was. You can use your imagination to figure out which one it is. I but I, I everyone had to record it entirely separately. So that's is that like just an additional challenge for you as the director and how to because part of that you know acting is interacting with each other and responding mm-hmm. to. The other person. And, oh yeah, you know, and so it's this is where I think I was <laughs> incredibly brilliant in asking Jenny to co-direct this with me, Jenny Curtis, I who actually is an actress. Uh, she has an actress background. Uh, just to fill you in a little bit more about me as well, I work with the Speakeasy Society here in Los Angeles, which is an immersive entertainment company uh, that creates three hundred and sixty immersive uh, projects. And immersive theater, for anyone who uh, is doesn't know what that is, it's where they're basically. Not only is there not a fourth wall, but there aren't any walls where the hmm. uh, actors will actually interact and pull you into a space and walk around and like ask you questions and your answers may actually impact the way the scene unfolds. Uh, so you as an, as an audience member are actually a part of the story that's unfolding. Uh, so Jenny and I actually met through that where I don't, I'm not an actor, but I am an associate artistic director for Speakeasy and they let me do a lot of the writing and the music for the company. I, cool. So Jenny was an actress, though, and so she got to perform a lot of my stuff. And so when I was looking to do this, I knew that she had some ties to to uh, uh, a podcast company, and I I I was like, hey, would you want to create this thing with me? Now the thing I didn't realize is that when we were going in to record things, this is the part that I didn't plan ahead, but it just was serendipitous. Hmm. I only one of us was allowed to be in the recording engineer booth at a time so you have the place where the actor records that's sealed off and then you have the place where it's like all the levelers and the the guy who runs the board and everything so only her or myself were allowed in that space with the engineer at any given time during the process i the other person could join via zoom and there was never any question that jenny was going to be the in-person director for these actors because being an actress herself she could perform the other parts with the people and she could help guide the performances the way that she always pictured the the dialogue going and i would be sitting there listening and if something would come up that i think was not working with the script i'd be like hey can we try it this way and i would offer my input and things uh her strength though is in that performance in the production end of things and mine is more in post-production since i also come from a background of music and sound design Mm. Uh, so we had this incredible uh sound designer his name is cj drew miller and he got what we were trying to do and he figured out how to make it work with Dear VR and Atmos and Dolby Atmos and how to make it this 360 all around you sound and how to use different sounds to actually telegraph what space you're in and things like that. 
I, so I was more working with him in tandem to get the sound design to a level where Jenny then was offering the comments as opposed to the, when she was working in tandem with the actors to get the performance while I was offering comments. And that's how he kind of arrived at the end product. I, so it was very much all of us having, having a lot of conversations and sending a lot of emails and notes trying to figure out how to do the best way forward. But in the end, it really, we're very proud that it sounds like it's all a unified yeah. Voice. What a Despite challenge. Despite recording every person alone. <laughs> yeah. Which is also kind of, so in the, they are alone though, because you said yeah. they're in separate. So there is only one scene where they've recorded they, at the same time in different booths, but uh, every other scene is only one person at a time. So this is kind of giving me an idea now for a D&D game. So, oh, yeah. As I'm going to, let's use Spelljammer and let's just copy your idea. <laughs> Let's Go just, for it. Let's just role play your idea. Do it. So we have a, a cast, a crew of four people. Something happens. They're on a, a spell jammer, but they can't communicate with each other. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. So as the, I want to know what would happen as the dungeon master. If like you, uh, if you really played it where, you know, instead of us all being around the table or on Zoom together, the dungeon master really only interacted with each player individually uh-huh. and gave them a scenario and then you know basically it's one-on-one DMing something happens there that could impact the next player uh-huh. but you don't you don't know like you don't know the results of your actions until like the end and then what That's would that look cool. like if you can you or maybe it's just like for a part of your campaign like even just one encounter this is a thing that happens mm-hmm. and you're you're all separate and then you all some you know get back together, but like the so much has changed, and because of things that you did that you didn't know would impact other people, and things that were impacting you were actually the result of someone else's choice right. and whatnot. But I, how would that play out? I wonder if um, I feel like that is something that would definitely benefit from a Zoom. Like if you were doing it over Zoom, so you could yep. have a breakout room to jump into. Yes. Uh, so that way you weren't having to like get up from the table and move all the time or pretend like you weren't hearing. Um, I also feel like in addition to tracking what the characters would do, you would want to already have a plan for things that will happen to the ship regardless of their actions, right? Like an asteroid hits the ship or something. Like by by round three, the asteroid hits the ship or something like that where they have to then respond to it and the choices they've made up until that. Like if one person lowers the shields or one person raises the shields or something like that, uh, the protection against an asteroid, I... they would they would have different consequences. Yes. Um, for some reason, it's reminding me of uh, the role playing game. I think it's Ten Candles. Yeah. Mm. Where there are certain things that are outside of what you actually get to choose. Like even one of your character traits. I don't want to spoil it because it's a big it's a big surprise moment if you're playing Ten Candles. Uh, but there there's there's certain elements that are outside of your control, and I think that would actually be really cool, and I would love to do that. I could um, see that being done on a uh, uh, like a play by post thing or something where, yeah. where it's not con- contemporaneous. Oh, yeah. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that you could, you know, have individual sessions with people and then uh, or you know, like have them post videos or whatever uh, mm-hmm. and then and then deal with it that way. It almost reminds me of the way diplomacy works, that board game diplomacy works where yes. you put in your orders. Yeah. No one knows what your orders are gonna be and then you all reveal them later, like having that kind of happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree with you, Shelley. Like, it probably worked best as an encounter or as like an aspect of yeah. a campaign. I don't think I would play that entire campaign like this. No. 
I definitely feel like it would be a one-off or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if it was just like a, for the next four hours, we're going to be doing this mm-hmm. in this style. Yeah. 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 You could even really have, interesting. right. And I just wonder like as a player, what would I, like, I mean, you could even have somebody who's not, you know, on, not there for the party, like could actually be trying to sabotage. You wouldn't yeah. know. Just but. to throw, throw, keep, keep going down this <laughs> blue sky session. I, <laughs> I, I even wonder about like and the Among Us emergency meetings, right? Where like after mm. X number of one-on-one moments, if the DM is like, and now you're all in the mess hall. I, mm-hmm. and like, it, this is the situation of the ship at large. Like what would you fess up if you realized you completely screwed the goat on something? Right. Would you actually fess up to it or would you... Try to cover it up. I would, yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> as we know, but then we'll yes. send you to prison. We're going to put you in the brig, Shelley. No, that's why I'm not confessing. I will deny it forever. I but also have like the, the way uh, <laughs> communication is always really important in Stranger Things too, about like having to, mm-hmm. you know, even in the first uh, season. So I'm not spoiling anything, right? Like you know, right, right. communicating back and forth between the upside down and uh, the normal world. And there's an aspect to that this here too, right? Where like I think. Because you can't communicate with your party members, that when you do is going to be such a powerful moment. Oh yeah, there, there are there are I, as I mentioned in the in the plot synopsis that there are two surviving astronauts from the flare who are trapped on separate parts of the ship. Yeah. And when the story first begins, uh, they've stopped communicating with each other for reasons that will become unpacked as you go down the line. But you, what you're saying is totally true. That when I was writing that too, it was like, but why would this person reach out at this moment? To say this, or why would this person turn down this call in this moment to say this? Yeah, and what exactly are the stakes that are changing for these people at any given moment? There's so many great. I mean, I love a a, a story that has multiple points of view, mm-hmm. right? And so that are separate, and then when they interact and come together, I mean, that's yeah, uh, such a great trope, and it's something that we don't necessarily explore that much in in uh you know, tabletop role playing because everybody's around the group and everybody can talk to each other and there's always like that and that's part of the fun of the game but I like this idea of of splitting off um, especially for a spelljammer type thing where that's a lot more possible when you're just a ship hurtling through the astral sea. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as a and d fan yourself, when you were writing this, did you have like ideas of this being a role play game one day? Like I could see this being a, like a campaign setting. Honestly, I love that idea, and it never occurred to me. <laughs> that, well, you uh, can have while, it. <laughs> while I was while I was writing this, I I it, that was when we actually started uh, doing a new the Strahd campaign. Um, it didn't start out with Strahd. We started just in like the regular Fandolin. I but I I we started doing them over Zoom during the pandemic, and so D and D actually became my like respite. It was the night that I didn't have to stay up till eleven p.m. working on the script, where I could just like. I'm just going to take the next three hours. I'm going to, you know, have something nice to drink. I'm going to sit there and play this game with my friends. I, so for me, D and D in that in that particular moment was my saving grace, as opposed to me saying like, "How could this be a role playing game?" But now that you say <laughs> it, it's a great, it's a great idea. I love it. I think that's your next step. Combine your work with your hobbies. That's right. What, what could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing. It's totally no. fine. You'll just it's like working both. from home. I clearly have good, you know, good boundaries there. for <laughs> yeah, working till eleven a.m. That's so right. Like me and Shelly over the last year working on this book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop. Won't stop. Um, but so you got into D and D a lot during this pandemic. Did you play beforehand? Were you a player? Uh, you know, before twenty twenty. 
so my path to D&D was a little unconventional in that I actually, I mentioned I did a lot of work with theater. And at one point I had a gig doing music uh, at uh, Long Beach, uh, mm. CSU Long Beach. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's maybe 30 miles away from LA, but at the same time, it takes you an hour and a half to get there because <laughs> of traffic. So I had a lot of time going back and forth to do this show at this uh, uh, theater in Long Beach. And uh, I initially, the first couple of drives, I was like, we're just going to listen to music because I just feel like music. And then I was like, no, I need something long form that's going to actually carry me through. And so I started listening to The Adventure Zone by the McElroy Brothers, The Balance Arc, and I caught up literally two weeks after they've released the last of that particular arc. Uh, and I just remember, I'm, I'm a sucker for a story, like any good story. Uh, so I was just like weeping in my car at the climax for that particular podcast. I, I, and I was like, this is great. And I started telling all of my friends, I was like, you have to listen to this. You have to listen to this podcast. And thank goodness some of them did. And they were like, oh, we actually really enjoy this. And we would be really interested to do you know, a D&D campaign. And I was like, great, I'm going to come up with it. And talk about homebrew. This was like homebrew on homebrew on homebrew where I, like, I went into this with them. I was like, you guys are my friends. You're not going to judge me. Hmm. None of us know how to play this game very well. Story trumps the game mechanics at any point in time. Just ask me if you can do something. And if it benefits the story and makes sense, we'll figure out a way to make it work together. I, so it was just, it was a hot mess. It was, it was all over the place and like powers were crossing, levels were all over the map, but we were having just a blast playing <laughs> in this little world that I created and exploring the different characters that they had created. Um, someday I promised them we will go back and finish it, but I had a couple projects come up and we had to back burner that. Uh, and then, and then I switched jobs to work at this podcast company and then the pandemic happened. So as a result, that whole game just is indefinitely shelved for the moment. Mm. Uh, but it was then during the, uh, uh, during the early days of the pandemic where the same group was like, Hey, why don't we actually do this? And we're going to invite, you know, someone who actually knows D and D to be the DM <laughs> and, and Chris, you get to actually just play the game this time. I, uh, and, and I, I find it just as joyful and entertaining and, I. Uh, playing this game with these people and, and not doing it with the homebrew and homebrew and homebrew selection. <laughs> uh, it makes it a lot easier, I'll say that. <laughs> easier in the sense of I understand what's happening as opposed to <laughs> let's throw paint at the wall and see what sticks. I, Those could be super but, uh, fun games, but I get what you're oh, saying. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. yeah I, and I, I know where, where, where my game was going, so I've promised my group if we don't return to the game within five years, I will actually write them out what would happen <laughs> what in would the have story. happened to them yeah oh, that's nice. cool uh, so that they will actually know what happens to their characters because i did have a plan for where i wanted them to go um but yeah no this this the we've been doing the strad campaign now for a, a while in the more traditional setup and i think we only have one or two sessions left oh wow i and um, miraculously we've all kind of survived i died but then was revivified i believe was the spell <laughs> I so that there's something very wrong with my character that even I don't understand yet at this point in time. Uh, the DM knows, but I just have a face in the back of my head, and that's where we're at. I, what? <laughs> as well as the face in the front of your head? Yep. And uh, it turns out the face in the back of my head's an asshole, so that's fun. Oh, I, it, it like it has a, a mind of oh, its own? It, yeah, it, it talks and it hates people and makes fun of me. <laughs> and it's, it's great. <laughs> 
That is great. I DM just to have fun with that one. <laughs> he has a lot of fun with that. That's yeah. great. Uh, and but it's, and is it's, that the one that uh, Garav Galati is running? That's the one that Garav Galati is running. Oh, nice, yep. awesome, yeah. fantastic uh, DM. Done he's so great. much stuff with, oh, with yeah. Wizards and and uh, uh, at the um, saving throw, saving throw, the saving That's throw the one. show. <laughs> I, but yeah, yeah, no, he's he's just a delight, and he he very quickly learned what we were after in the game. Where he like learned that I really liked having inner player character dynamics, and so he gives me opportunities for that. And then he discovers that the guy who plays the wizard, the the uh, Michael who grabbed the amulet when he shouldn't have, uh, <laughs> he discovered he loves doing stuff like that. So he keeps giving him opportunities, <laughs> oh, and like nice. it's just these like wonderful little touches where it's like he's listening to us and actually playing the game because he knows that he wants us to have a good time, and at the same time we still completely surprise him all the time. I that's it. Where that's he, he's like, I can't formula. believe you guys just did that. And we're like, Yep, we did. <laughs> Sorry. Give him an inch. We'll oh, take yeah. him my own. Is there similarities do you see as like a a DM like Garav or like yourself with being a director as well? The way that you interact with characters and both senses. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely uh it's it's a sense of play for for having that willingness and storytelling. We obviously get focused on like the auteur director kind of concept where the director comes in and he's like, I know the vision that I want. I know this and you have to perform. Give me 1000 takes of this one line until I hear it exactly the way I wanted it. Mm. And those people do exist. I, I, I think it's a lot more fun for everyone involved when there is that level of like, talk to me and I'm going to talk to you and we have to create this thing together. I, and I think that, that that definitely helped. Obviously, like we couldn't have improvisation and solar because <laughs> we were recording everyone separately. We needed the script to actually line up with uh, each other. But having that freedom of creation is just a good exercise in general. Uh, for, any, any, for whatever field you're in, just exercising the creative muscle, saying, what are you doing? What am I doing? And how is this helping the thing that we're doing together is just, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love the. I mean, I've I've been in theater and other situations where you have those uh, directors that you're talking about that are a little bit more, I don't know, stringent. Like, yeah, this yeah. is, this is my vision, and everyone must be subservient to it. Um, right. But I really appreciate the folks that come up from uh, tech. Usually, like I was, mm-hmm. you were mentioning having a sound background, and I've loved working with directors that understand that they're just a part of a team. They might, you know, be. The, the leaders and the arbiters of like what finally ends up in the thing, but it is oh, yeah. about getting ideas from everyone and uh, adapting them. Um, and like I said, people who come from like a lighting design or a, uh, uh, even an acting background, sometimes as, as your co-director did, like mm-hmm. just has much more of a, that language. They're able to, oh, yeah. to, to communicate better with artists like that rather than it just being, you know, my way or the highway. And, and sometimes... Not that I'm trying to brag about myself since I'm coming from the <laughs> post-production world, but it, it does give more freedom to find the ways that the different um, medias overlap, mm. right? Like how, how does music and sound actually work as a solidified unit as opposed to you have sound and then you have music? Mm. Uh, and like how, how, you know, if you do a light change and you have a sound cue that matches the light change, what does that actually mean to an audience member? I, it, it, it frees up that line of thinking, and I I find great excitement in that as well. It can slow down tech rehearsal a lot, though. I yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas, like a more 
auteur or performance minded director be like, yeah, sure, no, that's great. You guys figure out yep. the problem. But I've been with You're directors. Accurate. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> who have been like, let me get me two dB in that speaker. Okay, no, minus two dB in that speaker. <laughs> okay, no, t- plus 10 in this speaker over yep. here. I'm like, okay, guys, let's. Let's move You're on. accurate. You're accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is that it was probably the show, uh, I'm thinking of a specific one uh, called Nocturne, uh, that was actually written by Anthony Rapp's brother. Oh, wow. Uh, of all, so weird D&D slash Star Trek yeah. sci-fi <laughs> connection there, too. <laughs> it's uh, all related. It's all related. Um, but that one was, as you were saying, like was really had the impact of the audience in mind and how the 360 sound could make you feel a certain thing. It was more like a, it was like basically a play inside this guy's head and his mm-hmm. memories and, and, and how he was processing them. And yeah. so uh, I love that now that Dungeon Masters can take some of the those skills and bring them to oh, the yeah. table. We've, you know, uh, used things like siren sound and like, you know, uh, uh, ambient noises oh, yeah. to kind of bring to life that 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 immersion in ways that were not really possible you know even right. like 10 years ago with the amount of technology we have now when i was a dm uh, for my own game i was writing my own music cues for the different sequences <laughs> that i wanted to have happen of course you were. i so it took me like twice as long to get a game ready because <laughs> i was like then i have to get the whole sound list ready but no i i love that <laughs> aspect and i love it when people do that yeah. You got to do a tech rehearsal for your D and D session. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I love that, though. I mean, it's part of the reason why I have this game room too, with all of these uh, uh, colored lights in here, was to try to do some of that as well, mm-hmm. uh, and to give you the tools to do it on the fly. Is uh, I don't know. It's a super fun. Yeah, it's it's cool. It doesn't take a lot to make just magic from out of nowhere. Yep. Yeah, I sometimes. remember the first time a dungeon master handed me a note that my character. Like actually, instead of just saying like you get a note, he actually put a note in my hand, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever!" Yep. Fully full immersion, just oh, a yeah. piece of paper. We've come a long way since then, but but still, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, in immersive theater, like we 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 sometimes will hand people notes, and it still feels like magic because yeah, we we've become so separated from the art that it's when it hands you a note, it's something special. Yeah. So going back a little bit to solar, because I uh, I still keep rattling around in this in this incredible idea. Did you and and how it relates to D anD D and a little bit of of this topic too? Did you create a map of what the ship looked like so I that did. you could really map out where people are and how they could communicate or not with each other? I I did. I will. It will probably be a long time from now before I show anyone that drawing because. <laughs> I am not an artist in the visual sense in any way, shape, or form. I, you don't want me to paint my own room, let alone actually be a graphic designer. <laughs> I, but like, so I had a sketch just so that I could say, this is what the ship looks like. When they say the network arm, this is where the network arm, this is what this looks like, this is how they're deploying the mission. And that became really useful with uh, CJ, our sound designer, where I could be like, they're in these capsules, they're 15 by 15, they have you know plastic walls up to a certain point, and then there's metal walls, and there's fans up there that do this and that, uh, so that he could figure out how the sound was bouncing off of the walls and things like that. Oh, uh, cool. But there, there, was, there, there is like a map of the ship out there, I just probably won't show it too, too frequently. <laughs> It's, that's like it's a very bad drawing. It's, but that's okay because I am too. And when you're DM, sometimes it doesn't matter. You just right. need to convey the information uh, in a way. Yeah, and as right. long as you're doing that, then that's it's an effective map. That's right. I uh, but yeah, definitely like trying to figure out how long and like 
mapping out because there's certain spacewalks that happen over the course of the season. Uh, and if you listen to actual spacewalks, they're very long and they're not that exciting 99% of the time. It's just like, <laughs> I have the screwdriver. <laughs> I'm using the screwdriver. <laughs> the screw's loose. And it's just like, they have to be precise because like obviously there are lives on the line. But it's like, we, we definitely took liberties with that and like mapping out how fast could someone reasonably move. And like, mm. I, it's just because it... We're, we're, it's an audio medium. We gotta, you gotta hear something. You gotta have sounds order, happening, right? right? Like when the, we lose, we lose gravity a few times throughout the show, and so uh, CJ and I had to actually have a discussion of like, what does zero gravity sound like? Because it, nothing is not the right answer for a podcast. I so it's stuff like that where we did take liberties. You know, we we know that you don't really hear sounds in space, but that's okay. I <laughs> but definitely mapping it out to make sure all of that was in place and was important. That's cool. Now okay. I want the the in addition to the order remix of right. this podcast to get it all in <laughs> chronological order. Now I want the real time like twenty four version where they're like, okay, they're doing a spacewalk, oh, yeah. and then be bold enough to be like, it's going to be quiet for an hour and a half. On right, 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 right. <laughs> I will say that there is that's avant garde. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I will say that there's a scene in episode uh, five. The episode's called the anniversary party, <clears throat> where we hear the titular. I anniversary party. And when I was mm. writing it, I was like, it'd be really cool if all of these conversations happened at once and we get to hear it from the different microphones around the room. So we get to hear this conversation over here and this conversation over here. And in the background, we keep hearing the other conversations. And I remember writing it and thinking like, well, that's cool. That's neat. I, and then when we went to edit together the voices, I was like, well, this is a nightmare. <laughs> this is, because no now I have to edit anything. out like all of the people and figure out like, where they are so I can line it up for our sound designer to be able to spatially place them. And then I had to write the music that's happening at the party that would be replayed after every single one. And it, and they, and I was an idiot and made the characters talk about that party, uh, talk about the music and how they didn't like it. So it had to be just bad enough for people to not like it, but not bad enough for the audience to stop listening. Uh, it was just a whole <laughs> thing where it was like, oh, I wrote myself into a nightmare. But when I think of it, that's the moment where I'm like, I would love to just hear the entire anniversary party happened at once for real, like where it's like all of the conversations just happening at once. I, and that's, yeah, that's what I would love. <laughs> that would drive me nuts. That's, that's oh, yeah. one of my hard things to do at parties in general or, or oh, yeah. bars, loud bars, right? It's like, mm. I can't hear you, the person I'm talking to, because there's a conversation happening behind me that's yeah, yeah. just loud enough where I can't not pay attention to it. Yep. Right? And so that sounds like torture. But I love the idea of, <laughs> Giving that the control to the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah. I'm thinking of those old uh, when DVDs became like the brand new thing, and people would be like, "Oh, you can look at camera one or camera two or camera three. Like, maybe you could do that and be like, all right, over the course of this party, you can right. listen to different." Uh, I mean, conversations definitely one of the own. pipe dreams of audio that CJ was talking about because he used VR uh, equipment to spatialize right. the room. So he was saying, like, is there a world where this could actually just be a VR? Experience, experience and you can actually like oh, walk cool. up to the person talking and you know walk over there and listen to this conversation it's like gather and, town oh yeah, yeah yeah and and it's very cool <laughs> we did we were not able to do that but it's a very cool idea do you think that's somewhere that this type of content could go in the future right as vr becomes more prevalent and and, and people are getting into it that you start having instead of just an audio podcast it's a it's a vr content experience i think that would be very cool. Um, 
I, I, I also love the idea that I love the idea that you could even do temporal stuff with that, where you can be in the room after the event that you're listening to has happened. I, so that you can hear how the room got to be the way that it is. I love that kind of thinking for sure. I don't know how that would work with solar in particular, but there's absolutely a world where a story VR storytelling that. will move in a slightly different way than just being a game or just being a story. And it will be how you experience the story. Yeah. 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 Like what if like an event happened at a party, right? Like murder, like a murder or something like that or something happened. Right. And then, right. And then all of a sudden the incidental conversations that happened beforehand right. are really more important. And so you want to go back in time to listen to those to right. predict the clues. All right. I like it. <laughs> but that could also be done in, in, in a D&D setting too, right? Like I Absolutely. love the idea of there being something that occurs. It's a little bit maybe lighthearted. Maybe it's not a party, but maybe it's just like, oh, you're in a tavern. Things are happening. And then bam, let's think about what, what was actually happening. Right. You know, Even though I just summarized it, the DM as a as a sentence or two, but then, okay, like now let's zoom in or like give, give the players a magic item where they could zoom in uh, temporarily to, okay, what was the barmaid saying to the tavern keep? Exactly, yeah, yeah. That makes me think of the uh, video game Tales from the Oberdeen, was it called? Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, it's, it was, it's, I don't know that I can describe it, but it's basically about a ship that was attacked by a sea monster, but you have to work your way backwards through the logs and figure out who was where when to get the full story of what's happening. Okay, now I do oh, remember that. It was cool. more of like a narrative uh, yeah, yeah. game experience. Yes. Yeah. Won a lot of awards, if I remember. Like a yeah, I mean, visually, it's absolutely stunning. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Very cool. I made that sound like that was the only plus. It's not. It's a very good game. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, visually, it was very stunning. <laughs> so now that you've done this experience of, of, of working in audio uh, and you play D&D, have you ever thought about doing more of a, a live play uh, D&D podcast or anything like that? Oh, I mean, I would, I would love that. I, I don't know that there's the means at the moment to do that with the company that we work with. I, I, but I, I would What, you don't think Alan Cumming and Helen Hunt will want to jump in? I am and absolutely <laughs> seeing this as a reality. <laughs> I think that would be really exciting. I would, I would love to do it as the short answer to that. Uh, there's no definite plans, and I'll also say that like we would love to keep telling stories in our solar universe. I, I, we're working on that as as we speak. Ooh, that's cool. Mm, nice. More to come. Uh, so, I'm curious about your the writing for the for solar when you're mm-hmm. writing for twelve episodes, and are you writing everything? You wrote everything at once. Did you write it out as like? episodic and, and like I'm just I think there's probably some similarities with how a dungeon master might uh, write per sessions and just oh, yeah. if there's like similarities there or any tips that you have I mean on how. definitely definitely uh, the idea of uh, ending a campaign with a little hook or ending a session with a little hook right yeah mm-hmm. you always want to end the episode with a little hook uh, sometimes it's a really big one, like there's a really big cliffhanger after uh, at the end of episode one of Solar because we want you to keep coming back to check out yeah. <laughs> episode two. I I but some some of them are smaller. Sometimes it's just you know someone makes a, a comment that is suddenly hits you weird. I uh, hmm. but all of that is just useful. It's the idea of wanting them to come back. Like when's the next session going to be? When's the next episode going to be? Uh, for me, both in my um, in when I was doing my DMing campaign and in solar, it's just in storytelling in general, I always love to know the general direction where I'm heading. I, 
I don't know if uh, you've ever heard this term, but there are some writers who are architects and there are some writers who are gardeners. Mm. Uh, and the gardeners are people like George R. R. Martin, where they plant all the seeds and they just help the plants grow and just see what happens and how the story unfolds. Uh, and there's a lot of value and great work being done in that field. Architects are more the people who are like, I have the hero's journey and I have the three-act structure and this is the event that happens here and this happens on this page this, this happens here. And they make the story and plug it into that. And <clears throat> that's where you get stories like Star Wars. So there's not really like a right or wrong answer to that. I like to say that I'm, I'm more like gardening using trellises where it's like I, <laughs> I want the plants to grow, but I need them to grow in this specific shape or the design or you know, up this particular wall. I, that's the way that I like to work. So usually when I start writing, I say, well, this is where I see the overall arc of the season going. And then I start going from there and mapping out, well, this beat is important here. This beat's important here. But we have space in here and I want to explore this moment with this character here, uh, which is a little bit more freeform. And you'll see some of that the further on in the story because you start meeting more and more of the crew over the course of season one of Solar. And uh, as you get to know them, there are everybody has a little moment where they kind of get to present themselves to the audience exclusively and say, this is who I actually am mm. uh, in these various ways. And those are the moments where I tried to be more of a gardener and less of a, an architect. So I think that also applies, just to bring it back to D&D, &D, not to make too many <laughs> loops in the conversation. But it is like, that's the way I like to D&D, &D, that when I was doing my campaign, I knew the general point that I wanted them to get to, but I didn't care how they got there. Yeah. I would give them multiple avenues and say, take your pick, do what you want. We're, we're going to go on this ride together. And a lot of times they would do stuff that was 10 times more creative than if I had been trying to dictate what they should have been doing the entire time. So more <laughs> of a gardener yeah. of a dungeon master. I, I, there, was, there was a running joke that for a while that in my campaign, I didn't, someone was like, I'm going to go use the restroom. And I was like, we're not going to do restrooms in my world. There's nobody goes to the bathroom <laughs> in my world. I, and so in protest, the first time one of them came across a bedroom, he immediately said, I'd like to take a nap. And he rolled and he got to take a two-hour nap for, for his character. And it's like, I, that, yeah, that was nice. just a petty protest. But like, what hilarious hijinks is that? Like, that's hilarious <laughs> to me. And I loved it so much that all of these other characters were doing stuff. And he was just like, I'm taking a nap and I'm fine with it. I love that he had a role to do it. He's like, man, I succeeded in nap. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what it feels like sometimes. And you're like, ah, this has worked. Absolutely. What about you, Shelley? Do you think you're a gardener or an architect? I'm 100% architect. You know that. I want I to see. be more gardener, but I definitely am too structured. Yeah. I'm There's the opposite. An, I think I am gardener. You're actually, you're, I like you what are you said, gardener. Chris. Gardener with trellises. Like, right. I, I think I have. Maybe an idea of how to get there in in both my DMing uh, style as well as uh, in in narrative storytelling, but like it is very much like well, I don't know, I don't even know how the ending is really going to go. I just know the ending is going to have you know these three aspects of it. Right. Yeah. I'd like yep. to be there. That would be a that would be my goal. Well, that's why I we think were I'm good at writing this book together because we could yeah. combine our forces into that's right yeah. an architect yeah. garden. The way to do it. <laughs> well, like, I mean, every beautiful home needs a beautiful garden. So we can, you know, <laughs> we all have our, our different. That's right. I'd like to be, like, I think maybe now I'm like an architect, but I'm like, I haven't 
saved and printed my yeah. my You're plans. In CAD. Gotcha. Yeah, like we're still like you know we've like we're still like in design here. Yeah, I know things can change, and that's yeah. okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yes. That's a that's a big thing too is being willing to just when you have the architecture so down that you're like I don't know this you know this puts this off by one moment and being like no no it, instinctually just being able to say like that's okay. Yeah. Right. I where like our our the the midpoint of the season of solar happens a little bit later than you would normally do it on paper but I'm like no it feels better where it is now so we're just going to go, go with it. that. Yeah. That's a question. So as a as a creative as well as a DN, D&D person, uh, you often are, well, like we've been saying, like you're listening to other people's uh, uh, contributions to the storytelling and think like, oh, I think it's going to be this way. I think it should be this way. But as the director, you know, or, or writer, creator, blah, 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 or the DM, you're the ultimate arbiter of like, oh, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. That's not a good idea. How do you make that call? Is it just feel as you're saying? Is it just instinct, or or do you deliberate on it? Do you like do you pause and are you like mm, let's table that and like let me think about it for 24 hours, and then come back to it? Like, what's your process like there for both this storytelling as well as DMing? How do you decide what's right for your story? A, a lot of times, instinctually is the first choice and working towards that. Uh, but then when I get feedback, I will often sit on it and then figure out a way to incorporate it. A lot of times where it's not even just like let's just take this idea, but like, how do we take that idea and then make it something even more special where I, a, a big aspect of, um, uh, Allie, the eighth on language interface and in solar, for instance, I came, she gives these tel- these, uh, temperature readings of the capsules, uh, when the ship's not working on the different sides of the ship. So you can actually hear what the temperature difference is between the two sides of the ship. Uh, and at first it was like, Oh, we just need to hear that the ship is, more damaged. Like we need to figure out a way for the ship to be more damaged. That was the note after the first draft. So then we were like, well, let's say, let's do temperature readings. But then like, oh wait, the temperature readings actually tell you how hot or cool it is at any given moment. Oh wait, the temperature readings actually give you a spatial guide for how far away each capsule is. So when you're in capsule one, you can hear where capsule three is. Uh, And so it kind of bloomed out from that. And that was not the original idea that came from a note that we got where it was like, make it more clear the ship is damaged. And it was figuring out the way to do that, but make it the coolest way possible. Mm. Um, I, I also, I, there's, we had about halfway through of our release schedule of season one, someone on uh, Twitter posted these theories of what was going to happen. And some of them oh. were so awesome. And some of them <laughs> were totally wrong. And some of them, I was like, I wish we had done that. Uh, but the fact is that the show is done at that point. Like it is, it is what it is, and you can't have the remorse after the fact. It's, it's the show. You just got to have confidence that you knew what you were doing. But I, I, you can't do. I hate to throw shade on anyone, but Lost. You can't do the Lost thing where they're like, "Oh no, that's not it," and then not have a cooler answer. I, mm. It's okay if it is the same thing that someone. It, it doesn't. It's not bad if someone predicts the ending. If it's a really cool ending, like that's that's okay. In some ways, that's what people want in storytelling. Yeah. They want to be able to feel smart and feel right. like they predicted it. And if you have to uh, throw so many curveballs at the end, it doesn't feel satisfying. Right. Totally. Right? And that, that's good for DMing too. Like sometimes, you know, I've, I've played with DMs who have tried to subvert archetypes, which mm-hmm. I usually am like all, you know, down with doing so. But after a while, I'm kind of like, you know, I actually really just want to meet 
a paladin who's good. Right. <laughs> you know, like, is like knightly and, you know, right. uh, wants to help people uh, and, and be altruistic. Like, you know, you don't always have to have all the oath breakers every right, single right. time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's about finding out how to give those tropey endings or tropey things in a way that still feels Absolutely. slightly original, even though, you right. know, it's, 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 you know, retreaded ground. Yeah. Well, definitely sounds like solar is, uh, you know, uh, breaking some of those molds. You know, it doesn't feel like, even though I, I yeah. <laughs> compared it to other things, it does feel like it is this weird mashup that I've never quite heard. Hopefully, before. I mean, like I, I'll be the first to admit, like we drew inspiration from a number of sci-fi sources. I like Ali is obviously some form of descendant from Hal. She's a very different <laughs> character than Hal. But like, anytime you have an AI aboard a spacecraft, immediately everyone's going to say, "Oh, that's like Hal." So it's like, yeah, that trope is there. Like, we, we can't avoid that but hopefully we do some things with Allie that are unexpected Hallie, uh, Hallie that's right <laughs> <laughs> perfect good one Greg um, so we we do have to ask because we we need to ask this question yes um, you bought about your new car yes <laughs> So as I as I mentioned, I, I the session that we're playing with Garav is coming to an end very soon. And we've been through enough campaigns with our current characters. He's been kind enough to let us know that like we're kind of becoming super powered. And at that point it's best to retire those characters. I in the way that we play D and D, uh, so that we're not just walking into any situation and can immediately cast three spells and resolve it. Mm. I so he's like, we may be restarting this, so just be prepared that this may be the end of your character, which also is great because that means any of us could die at any given moment. I but I've been playing now for like a year and a half, two years as a Gray Axe uh Blue Dragonborn Bard. I and he is. He is so much a part of me and I, I, that of who I would like to be, someone who's much more confident, someone who is able to walk into a room and tell a story or a joke and everyone's just like, yes, this is wonderful. I, that I was like, I don't want to say goodbye to him yet. So earlier this year, I was looking for a car and I ended up getting, uh, it's not even an extraordinary car, just a Toyota CHR. Uh, 2020, but it's a red car and it has this blue trim inside. Mm. And for whatever reason, I was like, I think this car's name is Gray Axe. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I just started calling it Gray Axe and I was like, oh, that's great. So now it's like, you know, where did I park Gray Axe? I, and I, it somehow is this wonderful little tribute to this character who I've just grown to love and inhabit. Uh, that I didn't want to say goodbye to yet. So now I'll have them for probably another decade. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to so. say, you're never going to be able to part with this car. That's right. <laughs> I, and it's, it was very difficult trying to explain to my family why a red car was named after a blue dragon named Grayax. But hey, that's okay. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I love that. I that's love the great. split of people who name their vehicles and those who don't. Uh, yeah. My family mm-hmm. has always been... Uh, Calling them by name. I don't know why. We always yeah. do. We are definitely of the naming of the car family yeah. mm-hmm. as well. We've got right now we got two red cars. We got Chili and Ru- Ruby. Hey, those are well, good names. Chili yeah. and Ruby. We have yeah. um Sylvie and Hershey. Nice. <laughs> and my oh, father no, wait. just recently got Herschel. a white car. Oh, Herschel. That's Herschel. a good name. Sorry, it's Bart's car. Herschel. Oh. I my father just recently got a white car and he named it Olaf and I think that's oh, adorable. Oh, that's great. <laughs> we yes. had a white car and we called it the White Dove 
for some reason. <laughs> it's very poetic. I think it was so like the interior peaceful. was so quiet. We're like, oh my god, it's like quiet like a dove's wing. <laughs> That's and they're like, oh, it's the white dove. And <laughs> like, then it just starts. <laughs> my love god, it. very poetic. Quiet like a dove's wing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jeez. Doesn't make any sense because I don't think doves' wings are particularly <laughs> quiet, but it was where we were at. An owl's wing would have been quiet, right? Like you've seen all those documentaries of like how they are. I know you are. Everyone listening has, has, okay, yeah, has, has listened to all those. Snowy owls. owl, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Snowy owl. That would have been a good name. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. Snowy owl bear. Next yeah. one. There you go. There Tied you go. all back to D and D. Um, so Solar is out there. Everybody can listen to it. But you're also going to be promoting it at uh, San Diego Comic-Con this year, right? That's right. We're going to be on a panel with the show Carcerum. We know them. Oh, I, we know them. Uh, yeah, which is, which is fully uh, fantasy. We, we recorded... I, I, I'm the only one who says this, but I feel like they're our sister podcast. Uh, because <laughs> we recorded at the studios where they, that are owned by the guys who made Carcerum. God. Uh, Shane and Bill. Uh, uh, Shane Salk and Bill Holmes, and I, I, they were producing the second half of their their first season while we were recording our dialogue. So as a result, our shows kind of like somehow in my brain coexist together. And uh, together, we're doing a, a panel on audio storytelling, creating for the imagination. I unfortunately, they're releasing. They've asked everyone to release the schedule late uh, because they're still moving things around to get everything to fit. Mm. So I don't know the exact time and place, but if you would follow either Solar the Podcast on any platform, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I, I, we are uh, in Orcar Serum, which is C-A-R-C-E-R-E-M. I, if you follow either one of those, we'll be posting as soon as we know where we're, we will be. <laughs> but we're awesome. very excited about that to talk about uh, audio dramas. And what about you? How can people follow you and, and all of the oh. amazing D&D stuff slash sci-fi podcasts you're making? You bet. I, I am uh, Chris Porter on Facebook. There's probably a lot of Chris Porters, so just keep digging around. I have blonde <laughs> hair. I, well, it doesn't help my image as a little robot, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Instagram, I am at Coaster02, C-O-A-S-T-E-R-0-2. And then this one's really trippy, but on Twitter, I am Magnificent Beast with all of the vowels <laughs> removed from the word magnificent. I, that is because there were a lot of Chris Porters and a lot of coasters, and I got to the game of Twitter too late, so I had to get really outside of the box. Makes sense. At least you're not, you know, Chris Porter 69 or whatever. Right. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure was already taken. <laughs> was already taken. That was one of the first ones and they were like, nice. <laughs> well done. Uh, I'm excited. I am looking for a new uh, podcast. So I think I want to jump in uh, to listening to Solar. It sounds amazing from how you've described it. And I can't wait to have that anxiety. That I know. Was like, don't <laughs> like, be riding your bike or driving just for the first couple minutes don't be adrift at sea or anywhere (laughs) (laughs) lost in the woods don't be an orange is the new black (laughs) (laughs) definitely don't with captain janeway i was watching that i was watching that as a new mom as well so i was already anxious about that and hormonal and like the woman's prison thing it was it was tough you know what yeah Maybe I wasn't an anxious mom. Maybe it was because I was, was watching Orange is the New Black. <laughs> All this time I was blaming myself and it was really just my TV watching. We cracked it. <laughs> Glad we could bring that right Full back circle. around to a women's prison. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stay safe. Well, out thank there. you so much, Chris, for taking us all to this women's prison. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My pleasure. Let's thank you for out. having me. We're gonna break out. It's gonna be a heist to get us out of <laughs> this right. prison. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. It's right. so good meeting you. Likewise. I enjoy talking to Chris so much. That was, fun. That was so fun. A creative dude. Uh, really just love anyone who names their car, especially someone who names their car after their D&D character. I know. That yes. just made my day. I had a car named Boomer, named after uh, a character in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. I had a car named Bomber because oh. it was enormous. Just, Is that why you named it Bomber? Because it was like, yeah, yeah. Like, a, like a World War II bomber. It nice. was just like a just giant Ford Granada from the 70s. Whoa. I mean, it was actually quite cool. Yeah. But, but it was so big. Like, there, it wouldn't fit down Seattle streets. Because <laughs> they're so yes. uh, thin. I would just, never be able to park it. Like, certainly I couldn't mirrors. even fit it. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like a bus. But it was, my dad wanted me to have a safe car. So. Right. <laughs> It's yeah. pretty safe. <laughs> With lots of seat, lots of room in the back seat. And you're like, hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I never even thought of that, Greg. <laughs> to take all of your friends to That's, the, to the uh, water park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do they have water parks in Binghamton? He, he, it was in Ithaca when I had this car. Okay. Um, and I don't know because my dad said I could only drive that car from home to school and back, and that well, was it. And you were a rules follower, so you did not obviously. End up in, you didn't end up in lady prison <laughs> with your Ford Granada. I wonder what I saw as a child. That yeah, I was trying to think of that. Like, what was I don't was know, but there was like a big like or fight. No, I don't know what, it, but it was just like in the cafeteria, and like everybody was fighting. Like physical fights and food flying everywhere. And I was like, what is happening? Oh. And I just couldn't imagine being there. Every, like in the gray sweatpants, which actually is kind of comforting now. It's kind of what we've been wearing like, the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> that part I can relate to. What if it's the was only a, part. a British prison where Miss Piggy is able to break out of uh, in the Great Muppet Caper? <laughs> I always thought the criminals in that scene were very polite, but then I just realized they were just British. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe a, a British women's prison would be better. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to go. I'm not going. Well, we're going to send you as a Dragon Talk correspondent to uh, the prison in my hometown. <laughs> Look, I would go and, you know, visit and bring D&D books because I yeah. think that, you know, People well, you know, uh, you know but Wally I, Lamb, I'm, right? The author Wally Lamb. Yes. He is from my area and he did an entire book that was doing creative writing classes with uh, women at the women's prison in my hometown. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. it is like a, you know, I mean, you, you need it. People still need to create art sometimes when they're incarcerated. Oh my gosh. Probably kind of more so. Their problems and everything. And it was like this really great uh, therapeutic thing for, for, for them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I'd just like, right. just like D&D could be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Storytelling in that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Love I it. don't want, I'm just, I'm just like a scared person. So I just, I just don't think I would do well in that environment. That's all. You're, you're like I'm Piper. Saying. You're like how Piper was. You're like, I didn't think I was going to be in prison, but now I am. Yeah, but she handled it better than I probably could have. Oh, eventually. 
Yeah. I oh. think you, I think, I see, I want to see the story now. No, see, Greg. Like, not no. you personally, but like a, a character like Shelley who does everything right, but then is wrongly accused and gets into a prison and then has I mean, to. It could happen. Fight her way out. I don't know that I'd fight. I think I would just be like, I would curl up and die. I would try to get a job in the kitchen. Yeah. With red. With red. Do a little cooking. A little gangway. I just, oh my God, no, I can't. I'm not cut out. I'm well, cut out. I am not going to do the trope uh, of um, starting your D&D character in a prison then. Thank you. Because if, you know, it seems like this is a uh, not a safe space for you. <laughs> X. <laughs> That's your X card. <laughs> this is our session zero for the non-existent campaign we're about to start. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Well, thank you all of you for listening to our ramblings on this here episode. We love it. We love you. We love that we are able to uh, have these conversations with the D&D community. If you want to jump in and join, follow us on uh, wizards underscore D&D on Twitter. You can join our Discord, which has got tons of people in there looking for new games and reaching new audiences. Our previous guest, uh, uh, the Brigadier General, Glenn Goddard, he found mm. a lot of the people that he currently plays with there, and you can too. So jump on uh, <laughs> the Discord, uh, follow us on Twitter, like I said, or follow me. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And then there's another person. Me. It's you. I am Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. Do you remember when we had, this is long for long-time listeners, John uh, August and Craig Mazin on from Script Notes and you were talking yes. about Sexy Craig? Uh, I've started listening more to Script Notes, but he's like, oh, Sexy Craig is back. And I was like, oh, I remember that joke that we had from like six years ago, making fun of him for his Sexy Craig voice. It's like this. Oh, no. I don't remember Sexy Craig. All right. Well, we got to go back listen and listen back to, to the that. archives. Uh, it was a big yeah. topic of conversation back then. Nice. All right. You're all wonderful people. And now it is time to see what is going on with Drunky Two Shoes. Oh, yeah. All right. So you have completed your task that was given to you by Laryl Silverhand, the open lord of Waterdeep. And you are currently in Castle Waterdeep. You napped. And then uh, someone uh, knocked at the door, and then you were following them. I believe you had rolled a successful stealth check, a crit, a, a 20 on a, a stealth check to follow them. And they were going up a tower. It looked like they were going up a uh, staircase that was winding around and around up into a tower. Yep. So you realize it is morning time. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of cock-a-doodle-doo happening outside. Uh, it is bright noon. You slept, you know, from half of the yesterday to all of today. So you've got like tons of catnaps uh, over mm-hmm. the course of that entire thing, sleeping on the four-poster bed. I believe you said you slept in the roof of the four-poster bed or something like that as a cat. Oh, I was which makes just sense. like feather falling. Feather stuff. falling. To, yeah, that's right. To fall and then poof. Plop on yep. it, right? Uh, so yeah, it's morning time. John, uh, guards are moving this way and that. It feels like the castle is coming to life, and breakfast is uh, being served. You can kind of smell it wafting uh, from the kitchens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're going up this tower very stealthily. No one can hear you. And then at the top of uh, this tower, you've been hearing the footsteps of the person that you were following up there, and uh, you start hearing conversation in hushed tones. Can't really kind of pick out what they're saying quite yet, but they are like, 
Mm, interest peaked. Mm. What do you do? I'd, I'd like to get a little closer. With air at extra dry. <laughs> uh, okay. Make me your stealth check. A 10. A 10. Okay. Oh, dear. My uh, stomach growled. So you, uh, you're very hungry all of a sudden because you have been sleeping for a while. But you do still kind of creep up. You hear a creak of a, uh, of a, of a single um, stare as you're going up. But it's not too loud and it could just be a bird flapping by. Uh, so yeah, you get a, a little bit closer, and you're able to kind of, kind of crane your neck around um, and get a view of what you see. And it is a human woman uh, in robes, um, different from Little Silverhand, uh, kind of like more raggedy, kind of brown robes, speaking to something that is outside the tower. You can't get a view on it, but it doesn't. It, she's doesn't look like she's speaking to uh, anything from, from your vantage point, but she is looking kind of straight ahead out at sea uh, to the west. And then she conversing. Like, does it seem like she's in a trance or something or like really? No, actually, she seems pretty agitated. Uh, she says, no, that's not what we decided. That's what you hear. Okay. I am going to make my way back down the stairs. Okay. I've, I ride the railing the whole way. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to ask you to make an acrobatics check? Yeah. All right. Make an it. acrobatics check as you're trying to go down the stairs. Are you still trying to be stealthy or are you just trying to go down fast? I'm, I'm trying to go fast. Okay. Oh, I, I got a 10. You got a 10? All right. So you, you slide and then you hit the banister. Ow! Ow! And, and, uh, 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 but you still continue to go down. Um, and uh, luckily you didn't hurt yourself or do any damage. But you're now down at the bottom. But you're not... You don't think you were very quiet about it. Uh, and then you hear footsteps coming down from the top of the tower. You're okay, at the I, I need to, I'm going to go try to find Laryl. All right. Uh, so you see, uh, you know, guards and kind of dignitaries passing by here. This is uh, generally a public place of uh, the castle. Okay. Can you, where's Laryl? Can you point me to Laryl? Laryl, Miss Silverhands, Silverhands, Miss Laryl. Where's Miss Laryl Silverhands, please? Oh, oh. I'm, I'm a guest. I'm a guest. An elven woman, a half-elven woman comes up to you and says, oh, I, I'm sorry, what? You're, you're, are you just randomly naming our open lord? Like this? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking for her. Can you please bring me to and, her? And you're, you are? Drunky Two-Shoes. I'm her guest. I see. I think I would normally uh, have thrown you out with that name, but I do remember uh, hearing that you have done something important. Um, all right. Uh, Indeed. Uh, and maybe you with, should be a little more open-minded when it comes to people's names. What's your course. name? Uh, my name is uh, uh, Amethyst. Oh, that's actually a really beautiful name. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yours is I, I, beautiful, I, too. Thanks. Go, follow me. Look, I gotta go. We yeah. gotta go fast. All right, so she takes you, uh, and it looks like you're being whisked away. And we'll pick it up next time. From there. Okay. 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 I kind of wish I stayed, but whatever. I'm hungry. Yeah, you, I mean, that's truth. 